This is Client Side from Fox Agency. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Peter Richards is the Director of Marketing Communications at Protolabs. Protolabs is the world's fastest manufacturer of custom prototypes and on-demand production parts with manufacturing facilities in eight countries. He has been recognized by the Chartered Institute of Marketing, DBA, Marketing Society, British Quality Foundation, and B2B Marketing as delivering marketing and sales excellence. Peter Richards, welcome to ClientSide. That's great. Thank you, Nathan. Appreciate it. Super excited to have you on the show. Your career is a fascinating one. You've had stints at in financial services companies, telecoms, oil and gas, consulting, and now manufacturing. Tell us how you got your start in marketing and the major milestones along the way. Yeah, I guess um, my very first introduction to marketing, I guess, in a, in a, in a commercial context was um, actually when I started work at Shell. Uh, I worked for Shell in their London um, headquarters, and they were very good at replaying back their marketing adverts to all their employees. Yeah. And at the time, I was 18, so I just finished my A-levels, went straight into to a working environment. And I could see this way that the advertisement started to actually draw you in. And there was one historic advert that they had, which was called Keep Going Well, Keep Going Shell, which I thought was a real neat way, you know, use of play on words, creative and the articulation of what they wanted from a brand point of view, and also an effort to get people to buy the uh, the product and the service. So that actually started, I guess, my interest. After that, I did I did a couple of years at Shell, and then um, I was actually given some really good advice from you know, my manage, uh, manager at the time, which was, you know, you, you need to get a degree um, to progress. And I went to university, and just highlighting my age, when I went to university, um, I was looking for courses that actually majored in marketing, and there were very few at the time. But I took the opportunity to do a business degree in conjunction with marketing and develop from there. And then that, that sort of like sparked that interest, uh, yeah, continued from that side of things. But then I thought, and again, it was a, a bit of uh, mentoring advice, which was um, you, know, you can't market what you don't know how to sell. Um, so actually, when I was looking at you know, my first proper move into uh, you know, that career ladder was then uh, I moved into um, a sales role within uh, BT, so British Telecom, and their business division. And you know, I moved into um, B2B sales, spent some time in B2B sales. And then um, you know, from that perspective, I then moved within BT. BT was a fantastic organization in terms of enabling you to develop your own career within the same organization. So you moved every three years. Um, and so I did, did some time in sales and then I moved into what was product marketing at the time, then sector marketing, um, and then client marketing. Um, and um, yeah, I continued my journey. I, I did 14 years at BT, but then took the opportunity to say, actually, let's look at what's on the outside world outside of BT, and then started to move into uh, B2B-focused organizations, all of them you know, with a distinct marketing challenge, um, be that from you know, flotation or say, selling of the company and how you build a B2B brand, all into um, you know, organizations that were consulting, so acquiring businesses and you know, integrating those um, those acquired brands into a combined proposition. And then finally, where I am now at Protolabs, which is manufacturing, so how you um, 
you illustrate the features, advantages of what you can do from a manufacturing context, but in the in the mindset of the client and the client group that you're appealing to as well. So um, that's basically um, over 25 years of uh, career history in mm. uh, a couple of minutes there. In a couple of minutes. Um, yeah. <laughs> You did good to, um, you did well to to summarize it. So we're going to come on to talk about Proto Labs in a moment, because I know you're responsible for driving demand at the company as well as building the brand, which is, um, you know, sometimes a challenging commercially driven organizations. From your sales experience at BT, you're, you're sort of a, a rare marketer in that, in that respect, in that you have that cold, hard kind of sales experience. How is that sales experience and the marketing experience that you've gained over your career, how has that helped you now in your role as Director of Communications at ProtoLabs? I think you've got to be grounded in impact, which is the key thing. You know, why are you doing something? You know, always pull yourself back to the impact that you want from the activity. And you know, and even in you know in the um, in the binary sense from a sales point of view, your impact is the sale from that perspective. In in a marketing context, it's always very easy to get distracted by the activity and the the shininess and the sexiness of that activity, which can at times distract, distract you away from why you're doing that activity. What's the impact that you want to drive for the organisation? And so, I think that's the first thing that I've you. Know, um, I've learned, I guess, over the years, you've got to be very focused about why you're doing something and the impact that you want it to bring. Um, and also, you're coming out of BT. Um, BT had a principal you know, just before I left the organisation, which was zero-based budgeting. So you go into a budget di- discussion with no uh, with no budget and you build your business case up mm. um, to to justify that. Um, so I think that that's you know, one element. And I think you know, also it's that... Um, how you articulate what you're doing and the impact that you're having for the business. So be that you're creating, you know, um, in, in the sense where I am at the moment, you're creating new prospects for the organization, creating, in essence, quotes. So um, your customers that are actually asking for a quote from us, um, you're from that point of view. At the very you know, binary level, you know, that's where I'm driven. Um, you're from that point of view. We're quite a unique organization in terms of the speed that we operate. Um, and, you know, that, that, is born out of what we do. So we manufacture parts extremely quickly. You know, our brand promise is manufacturing accelerated. And so if, if a design engineer wants a part, they can have it in as fast as a day. And that also permeates through into the way we work from a business perspective, that you, we've got to generate that demand into the organization. Um, and in doing that, it can at times um, distract you away from all elements of the marketing mix because you're so laser focused on the demand piece that um, it's easy for the organization to not forget about the brand, um, but the brand then becomes something that is just just sitting there um, in terms of it will always be there and you don't have to do any brand building. But actually, the key thing that I've learned coming into ProtoLabs is that, yes, you need to build the brand. You need to build that the brand in terms of from a targeting point of view into core sectors that you want to basically penetrate further. And it's how you do that, which is the key thing. But you're doing that in a commercial context as opposed to a, um, a big brand launch campaign, which just raises the awareness. And I think the key thing for me is, yes, you can raise awareness, but that awareness has got to lead to something. And you've got to see that journey from awareness all the way through to revenue. And that's, I guess, the um, the challenge for any marketer in a B2B context, I think, in terms of you know, that balance between the two, really. 
How do you draw that line then between the the brand and the brand presence to commercial value, especially in what is I'm imagining quite a commercially driven um, organization and and a, a technically driven organization as well. I imagine a number of the leadership team are technical people, maybe not mm. with a marketing background, especially not from a brand marketing background. How best do you educate the leadership team on why they should invest in brand and how do you draw the line between brand and revenue? First thing is, it goes back on the previous comment, you've got to have a balance. So I think that that's the first point, which is you need to, you consciously know that you've got a balance in terms of the activity that you're doing. You also need to look at where you want to get to. So what's the end game? as opposed to trying to do everything all in one go. So how you then evolve that balance to be saying, when I joined the organization, it was most probably 90% on pure demand gen and 10% on brand. And then you know, what you then do is you then, uh, you've got your overall strategy of what you want to achieve and you know, how you evolve that to most probably where we are at the moment, which is, I would say, 69% on demand generation and then you know, where you know, I'd like to get it to is most probably 60-40 split but that takes time so I think that that's the, the first point that you're you're testing ideas because that's the, the other point no organisation likes a surprise so you need to test and learn because you don't have all the answers yourself and you don't know how a market's going to respond to a campaign or brand building initiative so I think the other point is test your ideas um, take some risks but you need to take calculated risks. And you know, one example you know, that we had with, with Improto Labs was you know, when I joined, you know, we looked at how we penetrated more into a specific sector. And we, we, you know, I positioned doing some thought leadership research um, into that sector to try and get a deeper understanding of the client issues and then get closer to the, the industry base on that basis. Uh, that worked and it worked really well for us. And so we've now built that initiative out into other sectors. So you learn and build as you grow. And I think that's the the key thing that I think I've certainly learned over the years, and also I think more so within Proto Labs, where there is a an understandable you know uh, drive for growth. We want to grow the business. Uh, we're a highly profitable organisation as well, and it's how we continue that growth journey. Um, and in doing that, you're doing that in conjunction with building the brand, but you've got to do that in a balanced way. How, how would you describe what the Proto Labs brand is today, and and what it represents in the minds of customers and then take us on a journey of sort of how that brand is then communicated out to your target customers and existing customers as well yeah i mean i think you know the, the essence of what we do is all around speed so it's speed to market so we help design engineers get to market quicker through being able to take their idea take their actual drawing of what they want produced and actually in, enable the production of that in a very rapid sense through a variety of different technologies so if you look at the essence of what we do from a brand point of view, it's about speed, consistency, and quality. But then also as part of that, we've got a really unique element in terms of uh, our in-house capability, where we've got engineering resource that can offer advice. So there's an education element to what we do as well in supporting our clients. And in doing that and in building that process, that, that then comes back into the brand and how we take our message to market. So a lot of our work is around education. Um, so talking about different design or manufacturing techniques that an organization could apply to their part that they want producing, be it in automotive, in medical or in aerospace. And what's the best material to use or what's the best technology to use from a manufacturing perspective as well. So I think there's an education element that we have you know, within the brand. 
There's also, um, you know, from a from a brand point of view, you know, following through on the essence of what we offer to the market, which is speed, speed and quality. Um, so we then pull that back into what we do from a um, what we articulate to the market. We, you know, I'm you know passionate believer in terms of making sure that it's you know right first time. So we don't let anything out the door without you know, continual review. You know, the marketing material is that first touch point for you know a, a customer, and you know, also we we spend a substantial amount on Google uh, and paid search, and that's also part of you know our offering from that point of view. How we then get an org a, a contact into our organisation in the quickest way possible, so that you know, from that initial search inquiry all the way through to the order of their parts, how quickly can we do that? How many clicks does the uh, the individual go through? to actually get to that point where they're happy with the quote that they're receiving from us and then they can actually order as well. So that then um, comes into you know, um, how we operate um, you know, from a, a business point of view. And then the final point I'd state, Nathan, which really goes back on one of the early points we touched on um, around brand, is um, all about that ability to test and learn. Um, you know, we are an organization that um, encourages learning uh, within our own employees. Um, we also you know, do a lot of test and learn with our campaigns, a lot of A-B testing to see what resonates. And I think the key thing that you know we're trying to get to is to a point where we can ensure that our offer is truly helping our client base advance their own manufacturing uh, capabilities as well so that we can help them get to market quicker. Really interesting. You lead the EMEA marketing team, which is a team of 20 marketers across Europe, uh, France, Germany, UK and other markets. How do you structure marketing across across those regions? And tell us what you've learned about building marketing teams specifically in, in Protolabs. Yeah, I guess you know, we, we've got the team split into really what you'd call three core functions. We've got regional marketing teams that are responsible for execution on the ground, on the campaign activity, and they work very closely with our sales teams uh, in each of our respective regions. And then we've got two centers of excellence. We've got a, a content and crossing me up um, center of excellence um, that is looking at all of our uh, touch points that we have in a consistent way across all of our markets. Um, so that you know, what we're putting out um, you know, from that point of view, there's a consistency to the way we're executing things. And then we've got a digital center of excellence, which is responsible for all of our email marketing, our graphic design, um, and also our search um, you know, capability as well. And then that, that is then you know, both of those two centers of excellence are supporting our go-to-market teams um, you know, from you know, from that perspective. Um, I mean, I guess going back on your, your question about your building and learning uh, from a team point of view, certainly from an EMEA perspective, it's really quite interesting that you know, when you look at continental Europe, and if you use that term continental Europe, and, you know, in terms of the way the, the British respond to a campaign compared to uh, the way the French will or uh, the Spanish will or the Italians or the Germans, it's, it is very, very different. Very different, <laughs> yeah. And you, you need to be empathetic to that in you know, how we go to market. And that's why we have the regional teams that are looking at the local markets, tailing the content based upon those issues and you know, delivering a message on, on that basis. You, know, you, you, you will have naturally, um, say within the French market, far more um, analytical uh, approach, questioning approach from customers, um, maybe more of that challenge because it's ingrained in them from a very early age when they go to school. They're, they're encouraged to challenge. Um, bizarrely, 
if we look at Germany where we've done some A-B testing, if we send a short email or a long email, the long email performs better than the short one. Hmm. Whereas if you look at the UK market, you'd have that turned on its head as well. Yeah. So, so it, it's, uh, but then you know, the essence of it also comes down to, um, you know, we are part of an American group. You know, so I have an American head office. Um, mm. They have a more casual, relaxed style to their communication. Um, if I was to take some of that communication and do a literal translation and try and drop that into the <laughs> European markets, I most wouldn't probably work. wouldn't be. I wouldn't Full be flat. sitting here having this conversation with you. Um, <laughs> you know, from that point of view. So I think it's. It's that cultural awareness and also using the resource that you've got in proximity to the markets that you serve and leveraging that, which is key. Really, really interesting. Every marketer's got a story about how they've tried to translate a piece of copy from one <laughs> language to another yeah, and it fell flat. Yeah. Have, you, have, have you got a story to share in, in, in that respect? Yeah, I think um, we had one where we had within our e-commerce platform, which was uh, cash on delivery, COD. And that was literally translated uh, as cod, the fish, uh, into, into German uh, on our platform. So when it came back to us to review with it, you know, our German colleagues were saying, why are you referring to a fish in our e-commerce platform? And it, it, it's at those sorts of levels that you just that you, you see. And also part of that is you've got a um, – you're then not close enough to your market because you, sure. you've got somebody that's, that's done the translation that is miles away from the market. They're looking at it as pure uh, a line of text, and they've, and they've done their job. They've translated it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the um, yeah the key thing um, as well from that point of view. So yeah, it's uh, interesting uh, side point really. Just sticking with teams for a moment, how how do you drive innovation within your marketing teams? I mean, how do you constantly make sure that you're always bringing new ideas to the table? That you know, no ideas are are seen as rubbish, and you're always kind of championing innovation. Yeah, good question. Um, I think you, you know, I encourage the team to get out of the building look at what's going on in the market around them. Also, you know, we've done some initiatives here, which you know, we, we um, you know, one of my colleagues actually spawned the title of you know, Digital Discovery. So looking at what other organizations do in a digital context and learning from that. Um, you know, there's no monopoly on good ideas. And I think the key thing is, is trying to learn from um, what's around you and then can you apply that into the organization. So we actually started that initiative you know, in terms of a di- digital discovery days. Uh, we started that at the back end of last year. We're now rolling that out on a quarterly basis now to actually try and force that innovation conversation into the business. So I think there's that point. I think the agency network is also really important. How you can um, bounce ideas off different agencies, have those more detailed conversations to try and understand like what else is out there what else are other people doing? But could you apply that into your business? And I think there's that challenge with that. Um, sometimes at times the uh, the client agency relationship where you need to make sure there's that resonance of do they actually understand your business as opposed to they're just throwing ideas at you without actually spending the time and effort to, and it's not much time actually in fairness, but to try and get a, a more detailed understanding of how you operate from a business point of view so that those ideas could stick. Um, and I think there's that point as well from an innovation perspective, looking at that, you know, from that, that side of things. And I think the final point, and we've touched on it earlier, is we, we do a lot of testing. You know, we test a lot of campaigns. Um, we don't know what's going to work. Um, but all that we do know is you can't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. You, you, you've got to keep um, that pace of change going as well. 
Let's stick with the agency conversation for a moment because selecting an agency partner is probably one of the most important decisions that any sort of senior marketer can make. It's it's really easy to pick up the phone and hire an agency on the spot. It's much more difficult to find the ideal partner that can help reshape your approach or, as you say, help you see what other people are doing and see round corners to, to move the business forward. Mm-hmm. What's the best way, in your opinion to find, uh, you know, identify and select the right agency partner that can move you forward? Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any magic formula, you know, in fairness, in terms of finding the agency. I think it does come down to deeper conversations. And in those conversations, you know, is there a real desire from that agency um, or the contact to actually understand what you do? And I think the key marker for me is in any agency conversation, um, the best ones are where they don't talk. You know, the worst agency pitches I've been in and agency discussions is when I come away from that discussion and I actually, you know, I consciously look at the, the clock and think, right, well, okay, I only, sp- I only spoke for five minutes on that call. The rest of it, I was all in receive mode. And actually, in terms of the, the discussion, it's all about curiosity, you know, that that agency and I you know, appreciate the challenge an agency's got. They're working across multiple projects. They want to you know, try and work in the most cost effective way um, and utilize their own resource in the best way possible. But ultimately, you've got to get under the skin of the client and you've got to understand um, the pain points that the client's got and you know, how you address those points to try and build your know, an offer for the client, which is actually going to move the the business forward. Because the beauty of it is. You know, as soon as that agency client relationship works, you know, provided that you you don't mess things up, you're going to be working with them for years. You know, I'm working with people that I started working with 20 years ago still, because one, you trust them because you know they can do a, a fantastic job. Secondly, they spend time to understand your business um, you know, from that point of view. And I think it's it's those core points as well that you, you you need to make sure you've got somebody that is willing to actually spend the time to listen and understand what what you're doing. And also, what's the problem you're trying to solve, which is the key thing. Really interesting. Final question on, on, on the agency point. If when you are working with an agency, something doesn't go according to plan and you're not happy with a piece of work or a particular piece of output, what's your approach to setting that right with the agency? Do you approach them directly and are you quite upfront about sort of what's gone wrong? Or is it the agency's responsibility to identify these things and and snuff them out. What's your what's your approach there? Um, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's you know, um, it's I can say my money, uh, but my organisation's money, um, and I need to make sure that's spent in the in, in the best way possible to drive the business forward. So I, I do tend to have you know, I'm not backward in coming forward in having the difficult conversation because I think feedback's really important. And case in point, we you know, we had a discussion with an agency on Friday last week where. We, we the pitch, the way they were putting across the message just wasn't clear. So we called time on the, the presentation and said, right, this is what you need to do to make sure that they, because you know, they're, they're giving up their time as well as we're giving up our time. We want to make sure it's value for both parties uh, from that point of view. So I think feedback's really important. And also how the, um, the agency solicits that feedback as well is also really important to make sure things can move forward on that basis. Let's go back to an earlier conversation around uh, uh, sort of emotion in in B2B and and brand building, because a lot has been written about, you know, the fact that 
B2B is very rational and emotionless and, you know, we weigh up the pros and cons and we make a very logical, uh, rational decision as to which company we want to, we want to buy from. But as we've learned in recent years, uh, B2B decisions are far more emotional than what we've been um, led to believe over, over recent years. And actually decisions in B2B are actually very emotional, sometimes more emotional than uh, on, on the consumer side. Talk about the importance of emotion in your messaging, especially with a highly technical engineering sort of audience um, that you're speaking to. What's the role of emotion in, in your B2B communications? Yeah, and, and I think you're kind of back on your point as well, Nathan. The B2B you know, often gets a bad rap because it's not sexy like FMCG from that point of view. The only difference is, to a degree, is the instant nature of the purchasing moment. It's fairly rare in B2B that you have an instant purchasing moment. Whereas, you know, if I see an advert for a can of Coke, I'll go and buy it um, because it stimulated my demands and interest from that point of view. So that's, I think, you know, just a, a marker from, from that perspective. I think the next level that you start to look at from an emotional point of view is you still need to have emotion in your messaging. And you know, I need to appeal to design engineers and the engineering community in a way that's going to basically attract them to engage with us. And that can be from a PPC advert that is putting the right message across for them from, from that point of view, that wants them to engage and wants them to click all the way through to um, you know, looking at this in, in, more, in more detail and you know, taking a more technical white paper um, and how you actually get somebody to engage with that. You've got to have that emotional element in terms of like, what's going to motivate the reader what's going to drive that person to want to engage with that content? And that's really important to understand. Um, so there, there is that emotional connection between your content um, and also how you execute on that. So you know, we, we look at a variety of different ways to sort of like stimulate that emotion. You know, we, we look at your know, video um, you know, in a lot of cases now to get technical messages across to try and give somebody a quick soundbite around the technical issue, those sorts of points. Um, and it's how you build on that as well. So I think, um, you know, and I know it's a cliche term, but, you know, it's people to people. Um, you're selling to people and you've got to be able to stimulate their interest. Yes, there is a transactional element to any B2B um, engagement, which is, you know, the organization's got a need and that person, as the, as the steward of the business, has to resolve that, that need. So you, you're therefore marrying that, that up. So they're not spending their own money, but ultimately it's their job. If, say, for example, you know, we sell something to a design engineer and you know, we screw up, that design engineer is then his job's at risk. Mm. So ultimately, that emotional element is still there sure. um, in terms of that purchase process. I think because it, it, it's it, job it, security, it, yeah, it's it, reputation, it, it's all of those things. Yeah, exactly that. Mm. Really interesting. You've been a successful marketing leader for many years now, and you've also observed, I'm sure, many impressive leaders over your career. What do you think are the most important qualities of a successful leader, in your opinion? Um, you've got to listen, uh, and you've got to listen you know, both you know, in a variety of different ways. Either, you know, within your own organization, you've got, you've got to listen to the skill set that you've got around you and how you use that in the best best way possible. You've got to listen to your board colleagues in terms of the drive that you know, the organization's you know, taking. And you've got to listen to the market that you're supporting. And but then also, you know, more importantly, you've got to be able to act as well. 
And you've got to be able to act for your team with a degree of passion and commitment to take them with you. And you've got to be able to set that direction, you know, when, when you're acting uh, and moving that forward um, you're from, you're from that perspective. And then I think you've also got to have, um, you know, from a leadership point of view, you know, I've worked for some fun, you know, amazing uh, bosses you know, who've all had a degree of empathy. You're real understanding the, either the market issues, the team issues, the organisation issues, and how you adapt with that empathy to the way that you're taking your services to market as well. Mm. Final question, Peter, before we end the interview. As you reflect on your own career as a director of communications, what advice would you give to a millennial or a young person who's coming into marketing for the first time that wants to also develop a um, a stellar career in in marketing? Um, I think you've got to be curious. You've got to keep that curiosity. Yeah, a bit like when you were when you were a kid, you've got to do the why. You've got to ask that why question continually. And I think that that's that's the key thing when you start your career to have that that level of curiosity, have that level of passion, but also have that level of um, commitment and staying power. I know everybody wants everything now in today's environment. I'm, I'm not saying from a career perspective you should hold people back, but you, you you've got to be able to apply that curiosity and see it through. And you've got to be able to see the impact and going right back to the early start of our conversation, Nathan, which is you've got to look at the impact of your, what, why you're doing something. And I think if you can take that curiosity and you ask that why question, you take the response, you build, you build something and you see the impact from it and see it through. That would be the key thing for me in terms of somebody starting their career. And they can do that. You know, that, that, I'm not saying that's a, a 10 year journey that somebody's got to go through. But, you know, it, it, equally, you know, that, that's a year of you know, learning. Um, and responding and you're learning again uh, from that point of view great place to end peter thank you for doing this no problem thank you Nathan. it's been been a good chat so i appreciate it if you'd like to share any comments on this episode or any episode of client side then find us online at foxstar agency if you'd like to appear as a guest on the show then please email client side at foxstar agency people that make this show possible are zoe woodward our executive producer hannah teasdale our podcast executive jennifer brennan our digital strategist supported by sophia ravanis and alice winterburn our social and digital experts i'm nathan anibaba you've been listening to client side join us next time on client side brought to you by fox agency